Good morning. So good to see you this morning. Thank you, Mike. The story is told of a mother who came to the Emperor Napoleon Bonaparte weeping for her son. Her son had committed two crimes that were punishable by death, and she was begging for mercy for her son. And Napoleon responded with facts. He said, ma'am, your son has committed two crimes worthy of death. Your son doesn't deserve mercy. And she responded with, sir, if he deserved it, it wouldn't be mercy. At the entrance to a convent, there is a sign that says, no trespassing. Violators will be prosecuted to the fullest extent of the law, signed the Sisters of Mercy. Seems like a rather contradictory concept, doesn't it? Prosecuted to the fullest extent of the law, then mercy. And in fact, it's a paradox that we see, or at least seemingly we see in Scripture. If you look at Deuteronomy chapter 32, starting in verse 3, it reads, For I proclaim the name of the Lord, ascribe greatness to our God, the rock, His work is perfect, for all His ways are just, a God of faithfulness and without injustice, righteous and upright is He. So God is just in every single way. There's not even a speck of injustice within his DNA. But what about Psalm 145? It reads, The Lord is gracious and merciful, slow to anger, and great in loving kindness. The Lord is good to all, and his mercies are over all his works. So mercy would seem to be at odds with a perfectly just God. I mean, on what basis could God even begin to promise mercy when his justice is looming? I think you know the answer. The only provision that would allow God to maintain justice while extending mercy is found in Jesus Christ. You and I are trespassers. In fact, the Bible defines sin as a trespass in places. We have encroached on or intruded upon holy ground. We are guilty. There's no doubt about that. We deserve justice We deserve to be persecuted to the fullest extent of the law, but thanks be to God that our holy judge gives us what we do not deserve. If God paid you back for every promise you ever broke, for every piece of gossip that you shared, for every lie you ever told to save your own hide, justice would be legitimately demanded. And if you were to pay for every sin you've ever committed, this room would be empty. But thanks be to God that mercy stepped in. Psalm 103 verse 10 describes it perfectly. He has not dealt with us according to our sins, nor rewarded us according to our iniquities. That is it, folks. The psalmist gives a perfect summation of mercy. It's God not dealing with us in kind, but instead giving us what we don't deserve. We value justice in our world, don't we? Especially when it applies to us or to others. We value justice. The other day, I'm driving down Rebecca Lane. I believe that's the name of it. It changes names like three times, but you know which one I'm talking about. Over by Dice. It's a four-lane highway, and we're driving along, and there's this one-ton dually in front of me. He's blowing black smoke out of his exhaust, and he's weaving through traffic. He must be in a hurry. And so we get it stopped at a stoplight, and he's behind a car, and I'm behind him, and he's, he's revving his motor and just, you know, jumping forward, can't wait for the light to turn green. As soon as it does, he takes off around the car in front of him, and he's weaving in and out of traffic again, going way beyond what the speed limit was. We get stopped at the second stoplight, and I'm right beside him. He's here, and I'm here. 
I'm drinking my coffee, and I can feel him looking at me. True story. I look over at him, and he's smiling. He's got his hand on the steering wheel, and he's revving his motor. He wants to race. I don't know if you've seen my new truck. You need to go admire it. It's pretty awesome. (laughs) And I thought, I could do this, but I'm going to refrain. So I just laughed at him. I guess that made him mad. As soon as the light turned green, he peeled out, and he takes off going way beyond what the speed limit is, and I hear sirens. (laughs) Motorcycle cop gets him. Pulls him over and I drive by and wave. (laughs) That's justice. And that's what I wanted in that moment more than anything. And you're not any different than me. Don't act like you're better. Because you would have done the same thing. We all want justice, especially when it applies in our favor, right? But do we really? Do you really want justice? You think about that for just a moment. As dumb as you are at times... Do you really want justice? As foolish as you act at times, do you really want justice? You think about all those times that you let that off-color joke or, or that comment come out. Think about the times that you allowed your anger to get the best of you. Do you really want justice? I want you to imagine a parent has a child and she warns that child not to go near the pesticides out on the garage. Don't go near them. Don't touch them. I don't want you messing with them. And the child doesn't listen to her warnings and, in fact, goes out there and drinks some of the pesticide. And that child develops leukemia. What would justice demand in that moment? That the mother let her child die? I mean, I told you. You shouldn't have have disobeyed. You should listen to me. What if the mother has matching bone marrow that could save that child's life? Does she refuse because she's trying to teach him a lesson? Do you see where this is going? God is just. There is not a single bit of injustice within him anywhere, in any shape or form. But God has not compromised his justice or his righteousness in any way. No, his love provided a way in which his justice could be satisfied so that his wrath could be turned away. And as a result, you and I don't get what we deserve. We don't get justice. If we did, we'd all be struck dead immediately where we sit. Instead, we receive mercy. Anyone ever ask you, do you know so-and-so, and and you have to think about it for a minute, and you think, well, that that name sounds familiar. And you think, well, I I just can't put a face with a name. There have been a lot of definitions given for mercy. There's a lot of adages and axioms that are given for mercy. But when you think of the word mercy, the first thing that should come to your mind is a face. Because mercy is not a concept. It's not a what. It's a who. It's Jesus Christ. So when you hear mercy, you put a face with that name. It is mercy personified. That is who Jesus Christ is. Mercy has a human face. And God's definition of mercy was his son. Jesus was the manifestation of mercy. Or what we might call kased. Kased is the Hebrew word for mercy. And it's really a word that's untranslatable in our language, but it is a word that goes far beyond what we often think of when we think of mercy from our own standpoint. Because when we think of mercy, we we usually think on an emotional level, a surface level. We think about sympathy, and we think about kindness and compassion, and we say things like, well, I'm sorry sorry to hear that. I'll, I'll pray for you. I'll be thinking about you, and we don't. I mean, we go on our way, and we don't really pray about it, and we don't think about it anymore. Kased goes much deeper. 
The meaning behind kased is getting inside of the other person, seeing things with their eyes, thinking things with their mind, feeling things with their feelings. Kased goes well beyond mere emotion or feeling sorry for someone. It's closely identifying with someone in their misery and showing them mercy. Because that's when mercy makes the most difference, right? When you're in misery. And in order to address the misery, you have to address the problem. So for us, what is our major problem? What is our core problem? Well, it's sin, right? It's the fact that we are trespassers on holy ground. And what did God do about our problem? Well, he looked down from heaven and said, well, I'm sorry to hear that. I'll I'll be praying for you. I hope it gets better. No, he didn't do that. He met our great need by sending his only begotten son, by getting inside of us, by putting on human flesh and seeing things with our eyes and thinking things with our mind and feeling things with our feelings. Look at Hebrews 9, 1 through 5. Now, even the first covenant had regulations of divine worship and the earthly sanctuary, for there was a tabernacle prepared, the outer one, in which were the lampstand and the table and the sacred bread. This is called the holy place. Behind the second veil, there was a tabernacle, which is called the Holy of Holies, having a golden altar of incense and the Ark of the Covenant covered on all sides with gold, and which was a golden jar holding the manna and Aaron's rod, which budded and the tables of the covenant. And above it were the cherubim of glory overshadowing the mercy seat. But of these things, we cannot now speak in detail. So past the second veil is this room called the Holy of Holies. And within the Holy of Holies was the most sacred article of the Old Testament system, the Ark of the Covenant. And within the Ark of the Covenant were contained an omer full of of manna, the Ten Commandments, and Aaron's rod, which had budded. And the lid covering the Ark of the Covenant was known as the mercy seat. And each year on the Day of Atonement, the high priest would enter into the Holy of Holies and he would sprinkle blood on the mercy seat. And you know what that did? That paid the tab for one year. For one year, that paid the tab. You go back to Hebrews chapter 9 and underline, circle, highlight, do all the above to that hyphenated word, mercy seat. In the Greek, it's the word hilasterion. And it means that which makes expiation or propitiation. Romans 3, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, being justified as a gift by his grace through the redemption which is in Christ Jesus, whom God displayed publicly as a propitiation in his blood through faith. There's that Greek word again. Hilasterion. Paul uses it here to literally say that God presented Christ as the propitiation or mercy seat for our sins. Remember what propitiation means? We talked about it not long ago. It means to appease the wrath of God. Same as the mercy seat, hilasterion. Do you see the connection? Jesus is the mercy seat. The word for mercy seat is the same root for atonement. And we know what atonement means. It means to cover or appease or to cleanse. What does seat refer to? Well, it refers to a place to sit or a place to rest, right? And so Jesus is the mercy seat. The place where mercy came to sit down. The place where mercy came to rest. By and large, I think Christians for too many years have hunted and pecked their way through the Bible. We call it proof texting. We call it reading the Bible backwards. 
I have an idea and I go to the Bible and flip through the pages to, to find support for my idea or my agenda. We call that one verse theology sometimes. But whatever you call it, reading the Bible by that method misses a whole lot of good stuff. Because there is a whole lot to Scripture that we miss if we don't connect the dots. When we don't consider the overall theme and thread that runs throughout. You know, the Bible may have two testaments and it may have chapters and verses and all that. But the overriding theme is one of redemption. It is all about God's chosen people. And guess what? God's chosen people that we read about in the Old Testament were not Americans. And so we need to understand something about their culture and their practices and how God interacted with them. Because we don't have a story without their story. Their story points directly at our story. And so concepts like atonement and justice and propitiation, they began with Israel, but they certainly didn't end there, right? They paved the way for our entrance as Gentiles into the kingdom. Now we are not for, uh, forbidden to enter the Holy of Holies. The second veil has been torn down and we are allowed in the presence of God. Think about that. We are now allowed into the presence of God to stand there with confidence to come near to Him. But all entrance into the presence of God must be mediated. You can't come alone. So we come with our mediator. We come with our high priest. We come with our mercy seat. The entire Bible is focused on addressing our great need. The fact that we are trespassers on holy ground. God took on human flesh. He got right inside of us and he saw things with our eyes and he felt things with our feelings and he thought things with our minds. He manifested mercy on a cross. He paid the tab because someone has to. Someone's got to pay the tab, either you or Jesus. In the ultimate act of mercy, Jesus became the, uh, the covering for our sin. What justice demanded, Jesus covered with his blood. He has not dealt with us according to our sins, nor rewarded us according to our iniquities. For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his loving kindness towards those who fear him. As far as the east is from the west, so far as he removed our transgressions from us. Just as a father has compassion on his children, so the Lord has compassion on those who fear him. How big is God's mercy? Well, it says here, for as high as the heavens are above the earth. In other words, God's loving kindness or mercy just keeps on going. How far does it extend? Well, as far as east is from the west, and you know, east and west extend in opposite directions without ever touching. Look at verse 17. But the loving kindness of the Lord is from everlasting to everlasting on those who fear him. The mercy of our Lord is eternal. But I want you to notice the caveat. The caveat is on those who fear him, which implies something, doesn't it? It implies that those who do not fear him, who do not put their faith and trust in him, will not receive mercy on the day of judgment. You see, we mustn't fool ourselves into thinking that the mercy of God will override his justice. Mercy does not cancel out judgment apart from atonement. The judgment of God is his holy justice confronting moral iniquity. Mercy is God's goodness confronting human guilt and suffering. God has addressed the problem, but you know what? We have to address the problem as well. It's not enough just for God to address the problem if we choose not to. We have to address our own problem as well. And the problem at its core is sin, right? But here's the deal with mercy. Even those who refuse to deal with the problem are still receiving mercy. 
The fact that you could get up this morning and blink your eyes and cough and sneeze or whatever. The fact that you could eat breakfast. The fact that you could walk out the door this morning, maybe even already have committed, have committed sin, having committed sin. The fact that you can do all that is an extension of God's mercy. God extends mercy to all of us. God is waiting. And the reason why he is waiting is because a Savior died. His waiting is an opportunity for all of us. The sinner is allowed to still live, at least for a time, and mercy is being extended as an opportunity for all sinners to address the problem, which naturally implies that if we fail to address the problem, if we choose not to address the problem, that mercy will not be there. You ever pulled up to a four-way stop? And you get there before the other car does. You see the other car coming, but you arrive before they do, and so you go on through the intersection. You know what you did in that moment? You took for granted that that car was going to stop and that it wasn't going to barrel through the intersection and T-bone you. When you're at home and you've got the TV remote and you point it at the TV, you know what you're doing? You're trading on the fact that the technology in that remote will connect with the technology in that television and turn on the TV. We just take for granted that that's going to happen. And in a spiritual sense, we do this all the time. We trade on the mercy of God. We take for granted that it's always going to be there. We trade on the mercy of God. He showers His mercy upon us all every moment of every day. When you wake up in the morning and you're able to breathe, when you're able to cough or sneeze or eat breakfast or whatever, we take for granted that we have mercy, that his mercy has been extended to us, that the sin that we commit that deserves to be punished, we kind of take for granted that the mercy will be there. It's an unfortunate reality that many of us trade on God's mercy. We take his mercy for granted, and, and it's certainly not just Christians. I mean, non-believers do this all the time. In fact, they trade on the mercy of God even more so based on the fact that in any moment they could spend eternity away from God and be in eternal misery. But we all take his mercy for granted. At least I know I do. As Christians, we find it so easy to trade on God's mercy. We have received mercy to a degree that is incomprehensible. And yet we get so busy and we get so preoccupied with life that we don't give a second thought to the blessings that have been showered upon us, including mercy. But I want you to notice 2 Samuel chapter 6. Starting in verse 9, it says, So David was afraid of the Lord that day, and he said, How can the ark of the Lord come to me? And David was unwilling to move the ark of the Lord into the city of David with him. But David took it aside to the throne of Obed-Edom the Gittite, to the house, I should say, of Obed-Edom the Gittite. Thus the ark of the Lord remained in the house of Obed-Edom the Gittite three months, and the Lord blessed Obed-Edom and all his household. Can you imagine having the most sacred article of the Old Testament system sitting in your living room? Can you imagine that? Would that change the way that you lived? I would say so. I mean, I, my guess is that Obed-Edom and his household lived very differently knowing that the Ark of the Covenant was sitting right there in their living room. That would change the way you behave. But you think about, before the Ark of the Covenant came to rest in the house of Obed-Edom, 
It stayed in the household of Abinadab for 20 years collecting dust. No manifestation of glory, no nothing. How does that happen? How does the most sacred article of the Old Testament system sit in your house and just collect dust and do nothing to change you? But how many times do we receive the mercy of God? We take it for granted. God is the most taken for granted being in the universe. Because if he ever demanded justice, you think about your life, you think about all the things that you've done. If he ever demanded justice, where would you be? And he has the right to do so. I mean, he is the judge of the universe that he created. If he ever demanded justice, you and I would be in a world of hurt. But instead of giving us the death penalty, he gives us Jesus Christ, our mercy seat. My charge to you is don't allow that to gather dust. Revel in it. Exploit it. Live your life as one who has received what you don't deserve. There was a gentleman who was on hard times and he needed money. The only thing he had of value was uh, this ring that was a family heirloom. It had been passed down for generations. And he loved the ring. He, he loved the sentimental value that it had. But he needed money. So he went to the pawn store and he pawned the ring. The pawnbroker did tell him, here's a receipt. If you come back within 10 days, I'll sell it to you with interest. You can buy it back. So the man left. And after 10 days, he still didn't have the money, but he wanted the ring back. So he went into the pawn store and he asked the pawnbroker, can you please, please give me the ring back? I mean, it has so much value to my family. Can I just have it back? And the man says, I'm sorry. I mean, it's been 10 days. You don't have the money. I'm not giving it back. So the man left the store dejected. One day he's walking down the street and he looks in the window and there's the ring. It's been polished up and a price tag was placed on it that was 25 times higher than what he sold it to him for. It had been appraised at its proper value and it was worth so much. Some of us have pawned our lives. We have pawned our souls and we don't have what it takes to redeem it. But 2,000 years ago, God sent his son to pick up the tab for the life that you pawned. And I don't know where you're at this morning. Actually, I do, you're here, but I mean, I don't know where you're at spiritually. But I can tell you this. Mercy has been extended. So if you're someone who is, who is outside of Christ... Understand that this is your golden opportunity. This is your, your, your moment. And you're standing at the threshold of redemption. You have the opportunity to receive the gift that has been offered. Don't blow this. Don't blow this. We're all born with an expiration date and we don't know when it's going to come due. So it makes no good sense to leave here without being right with God. So if we can help you by praying with you, if, if you're ready to take the next step and be baptized this morning, then, then let's do that. Whatever it takes to be right with God, Mike's going to lead us in a song. Why don't you come as we stand and as we sing?